Awesome. Get your Bibles out, something to take notes with. Are you guys excited to hear from the Word of God? Awesome. We have um, an awesome speaker this morning who is not me, and I just want to give a shout out over the last couple of months to our preaching team. Anybody? So uh, my wife, uh, my dad, and Karis Frigi have uh, been doing so much of the preaching recently, and I think we've all been blessed. I don't know, over the last eight or nine weeks or whatever, they've done the bulk of it, and it's just been amazing. It's been so good to hear from so many amazing people. We've got anointed people in our church. I don't know if you knew that, but wow. Have you been encouraged? Have you been challenged? I know I have. There's been so many things that I've learned and been moved forward, and not only have they been doing an amazing job investing in us, but it's been really fun to be able to work on a whole bunch of other stuff that's coming up for us as a church over the next year, really just in the space that's been created by, by them taking the bulk of the preaching. I've been able to dig into a whole bunch of things coming that we're going to be announcing soon that's going to be really exciting. So God is on the move in our church. God is on the move this morning, and he's ready to speak to you. Are you ready to hear? Awesome, because we have Karis Frigi preach to us again. Yeah, oh yeah, come on. Fan club. <laughs> awesome. She's going to preach for us this morning. It's going to be great. I'm going to pray for her, and uh, we are going to dive in this morning. Lord, thank you so much for Karis. Thank you so much for what she invests in this church and as a part of this team. Lord, we thank you for every person in the room right now. We thank you that you know every single one of our names and where we're at, and you've got something to say to each and every one of us. Lord, we're asking that you would speak your word this morning. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to be on what is spoken to us. God, I'm asking that we would be hungry and ready to receive, that our hearts would be wide open, and that uh, you would just do more than we're ready for, even more than we're asking for this morning in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, everybody shouted real, real loud. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. Well, does anybody know what today is? Yeah. St. Patrick's Day. So we're going to do something. If your neighbor is not wearing green, you have to pinch them, which doesn't seem very church-like, but it's appropriate. <clears throat> to be honest, I'm always a little confused when people don't wear green on St. Patrick's Day. Like, where did y'all grow up and why do you not know? That's what you do, right? Um, I actually grew up kind of loving this day. I love any chance to party, so love St. Patrick's Day. And um, I, in 99, anyone else, like junior high, 99, and that was, it was really cool to make t-shirts. So I had a t-shirt made about St. Patrick's Day, like loved it. It was a crowning achievement in seventh grade. So there you go. There's, actually, I don't know how old I was then. Um, love St. Patrick's Day. And then like six years ago, my favorite pastor at the time, now it's Andrew, but at the time, <clears throat> it was Robert Herber. He was my college pastor at Antioch Waco. He had planted a church in San Diego. This is just backstory. Y'all like backstory. So he gave this incredible message on the life of St. Patrick, and I loved it, and I retained very little of it, but I remember that it was very inspirational. And so for six years, I've essentially tried to go back and find this message online, and it is not in their archives. The entire month of March is just like gone, like poof. So felt very frustrated. When we sat down as a content team this year and we were looking at every Sunday and we were just asking, okay, God, what do you wanna to say to the church? What are the things on Andrew's heart? How does this line up? We saw that there was a Sunday that fell on St. Patrick's Day, right? Or opposite, however you say that. So I was so thrilled and I was like, guys, we have to do a message on the life of St. Patrick. Robert Herbert did it. It was awesome. My life was changed. I don't remember why it was changed. It was just awesome. And then I left the meeting somehow being the one elected to do it. So I'm still, still a little confused how that happened because um, I was picturing one of them. Uh, but so I've spent like the past month and a half 
going through five books on his life, and I was going to come and give you a book report, and I tried to give, like, the sermons of that to my husband, and he was, like, falling asleep, so I decided not to do that, <laughs> but as I was just looking at his life, there is so much in the way that he lived that can still speak to us today, and we've been doing this series called War and Worship, and I kind of want to take us a little bit back. For those who are new, we started off the new year, what is God saying for us? Andrew said in Isaiah 54, does anyone know our word for the year? Way to go, guys. Do not hold back. So then we took February and we said, how do we not hold back in how we approach the Bible? How do we not hold back in how we approach worship and how we approach prayer? And that led us into the fast. But Andrew came out in worship with this phrase, war and worship, because we looked at the life of King David and the way that he did war and the way that he did worship and how the two things aren't as opposed to one another as we originally thought. So we've taken this month and we're just kind of pausing in different psalms. We're looking at how do we do worship? And when I look at St. Patrick's life, I see this man who is a lot, he actually reminds me a lot of Andrew. He is apostolic to the core. He goes out, he's on a mission. He's very passionate, very zealous. He, um, he is not religious. If you know Andrew, you know that he's not into religion much. And he's, not, he's okay with pushing the envelope on things of religion so that you can go after God's heart. And so when I look at the life of St. Patrick, I just have been so stirred. And I've been like, okay, Lord, how do we reproduce this as a church? And he, uh, Heather, yesterday, we had a leadership meeting. She was just talking about Hebrews 12, how there's this cloud of witnesses. And we were both kind of like, the jury's out. I don't really know what that means. But I feel like today, St. Patrick is in the cloud. And he's just like a witness to our lives. And he's, and he's spurring us on to keep going and to do life well. So one of the things that Andrew brought up when he was talking about St. Patrick, or when he was talking, you didn't talk about St. Patrick, I did. When he was talking about King David, he said that King David was this man who was after God's heart. That what worship is, is being after God's heart. In, Hebrew, or in Romans 12, it says that I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And in this, for today's purposes, I want to take that word worship and just say it's our lives submitted to God. And that's even kind of hard to explain, but it's just basically you saying, God, you can take my little life and you can do whatever you want with it. I'm giving you my life. So that's worship. It's not just the songs that we're singing, right? It's not just the first 30 minutes. It's not when you play a song. It's what you're doing. It's your life. It's me saying, I'm worshiping you with this choice. I'm worshiping you when I choose not to watch this show, when I choose not to listen to this music. I'm worshiping you and how I mother, and I'm worshiping you and how I father, how I'm a spouse, how I'm a friend. I'm worshiping you. And I see in St. Patrick this life of worship. And I find that when you worship something, you become like what you worship. Have you guys heard that before? So as we worship God, as we present our bodies to God, we become like him. And I just love this invitation. On my 30th birthday, I felt like the Lord gave me um, a passage in John. He said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. I call you friends because everything that I've heard from the Father, I've made known to you. And I feel like there's this invitation when we worship God with our lives, he calls us friends and he starts to talk to us about what's on his mind. And isn't that just the perfect friend? Nobody likes a friend who like just blabs and dumps and sometimes I feel like I'm like that to my husband. I'm like, do you have anything to say? No? Okay, great. So I'll just keep talking. But I feel like this is the invitation from the Lord for us is not just to bring our hearts and present our requests because he wants that, but it's to hear what's on your mind. What are you thinking about today? 
And this will catalyze like your time with the Lord if you begin to ask, what are you thinking about? I think it's just gonna change everything for us. And he wants to speak about it. I think that in Luke 15, Jesus gives two different parables. He gives one about the lost sheep and one about the lost coin. And he's, he's showing us what's on God's mind. And I think in, in all of his wisdom, there are a million things on his mind, like the mind of God. But part of it is being consumed with longing for the lost. He's compelled to reconcile, to make right his relationship with the world. Jesus says that God so loved, no, John said, God so loved what? The world. He loves the world. Not just us, although he loves us. He loves the world. And as we worship God and we become friends with him, his war for the world is on our hearts. So today's subject is the war for the world. And we're going to look at the life of St. Patrick because I think he stepped into this really well. Now, I was having this conversation. I love when God begins to line things up because I was having a conversation with someone recently and they were just kind of getting pushback on, I don't want to have to convert all my friends, which I get. It feels, I don't want to sell somebody to Jesus. Do you? Like, I don't want to do that. But I do want to feel urgency in my spirit. And when I left this conversation, we were just talking about, is it important for us to share our faith? Is it important for us to come into an environment where people who don't know God are for us to love them and tell them about Jesus? And how do we not be gimmicky? And I just felt like the Lord, when I, when I left that conversation, the Lord said, my love is so sufficient. Like I could pursue people all on my own, but the enemy declared war in the garden. Like he's been warring to put separation between God and man. And when people give in to sin, it says in Romans 8, you become a slave to whatever you obey. So when people aren't obeying the spirit of God, they're slaves to sin. And because they're slaves to sin, Romans 1 says that they're suppressing the truth about God in unrighteousness. When we sin, we are like willingly putting away what we know about God. So people who are lost are actually made in his image, but everything that was in them, deposited in them to know about God, they're suppressing it in unrighteous living. Does that make sense? It's not a judgment. It's just how it is. So God's calling us today. He's saying, will you step in to the war for the world? Will you war with me? Yesterday, Andrew was saying, hey, these are some things that I pray over you guys. And he brought us to 2 Timothy 2, where Paul says that I'm praying for you that you would share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he says no soldier gets himself entangled in the affairs of everyday life because he wants to live to please his commanding officer. And that, that's so strange that God would want us to be soldiers, but he does because there's a world at war and Jesus is gonna win but he's asking us to step in the in-between. And there's this psalm that would always come up in my monthly reading. My mom taught me to read the word in sixth and seventh grade. She'd say, Karis, read a psalm of the day and a proverbs of the day. She's very structured, so it was helpful for her to, so that's what I did. I was like, psalm of the day, proverb of the day. You pick one gospel. Like, it's a good, it's a great place to start. But I would always get to Psalm 2 on the second day of every month. <clears throat> it's the kind of psalm that you read and you're like, yep, and you just walk away from it. You're like, I know it's right. I do not understand it. But as I was preparing for this, I felt the Lord just remind me of that psalm. And he was like, hey, David, the warrior worshiper, wrote this psalm, and it perfectly encapsulates war and worship together. It's about the advancing of the kingdom of the Messiah. Some of you in your Bible, you might even have a subtitle that says the triumph of the Messiah's kingdom or something similar. So anyway, we're going to look at the whole psalm, okay? Let's pull it up on the screen. It says... 
Why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is kindled quickly. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Anyone else? Like, you're like, wow. You just kind of want to leave it there. Like, yep. Good job, David. Um, But I feel like what he's trying to say is that the kings of the earth... The rulers of this age are trying to burst the bonds of God off of them. They're trying to say, I'm not made in his image. I'm made from like the dust. I just, I just evolutionized whatever, however you say that. I just appeared. They're trying to get away from the root system of who God is in their life. They're trying to get freedom, but God is in heaven and he's laughing because he's like, this war has been won. Like it's, it's still happening, but it's been won. And then he says, he's talking about Jesus. He says, I have said to Jesus, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. But I also think that it's more than just Jesus. This is also prophetic, prophetic, if you can handle that word, for all of us. He's saying, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. God's looking for people who will say, I want the nations. I want them back. I want kings of the earth to not be able to rule anymore over people's hearts. I want the nations. And I feel like the Lord, he just wants to invite us to be that bold. And St. Patrick, he's known as the patron saint of Ireland. He's known for converting the entire nation of Ireland. It's amazing. It's amazing. We're going to get into it. And I, I don't want that to intimidate us. I want that to excite us. It was just one man, and he asked for a nation, and he got it. What have you asked for lately? What have I asked for lately, right? All right. So there are some things I think that we can learn from St. Patrick's life, and I want to get into them. The first one When we say yes to the love of God, we say yes to the mission of God. We're going to go into Patrick's life. So he was born somewhere near 389 AD. This was when the Roman Empire had taken over. Remember, Rome is occupying Jerusalem during Jesus' life. They've continued to expand. This is actually the end of their, like, expansion. But they're in Britain. So this is where Patrick is growing up, and he's the son of a deacon in a church. So, in our words, he would be the son of someone who goes to church, but he hadn't made the faith his own, okay? So he's growing up as this wealthy boy, and when he's 15 years old, Irish sailors, pirates, whatever, come in, vandalize his little city, and take him as a captive. So at 15, he goes, and he's enslaved to the Irish. For us to understand what that would have meant for him and for his parents, we'd have to understand, which is hard, the culture of that day. But basically, the Roman Empire, as it would come and conquer lands, it would Romanize the lands. It would civilize them. It would teach them their languages. It was a measure of keeping control. But anything outside of the empire was shrouded in mystery. They didn't have Google. They couldn't be like, what's actually in Ireland, you know? They just knew what the leaders told them. And the leaders, the things they heard about Ireland was pretty not good. Ireland was this band, instead of being an actual country, it was 150 different tribes. Each tribe had a king. They're warring each other constantly. And the only time Romans have ever seen them is in battle. 
when they would go against the Irish and the Celtic people, they would actually strip naked in battle, which is just terrifying even to think about, and they're rushing you, and they had what they called a a warp spasm, which they said was them being possessed by demons. They would give themselves over to the demonic. Their features would be totally twisted and gruesome, and they would rush howling and screaming into battle naked. Can you imagine? That's all that you know of these people, and they have taken your son. So his parents gave up hope of his life, and Patrick is now enslaved in Ireland. There are no roads in Ireland at this point, right? The Romans made the roads. So Ireland is just a wilderness. His parents have no way of reaching him. He has no way of communicating, and he's on the backside of a wilderness. And as so often happens when we find ourselves on the backside of a wilderness, God comes. So he begins to encounter God as this lonely shepherd, and he actually writes about this, and he only has two letters that survive. They're both really awesome. You can find them on Google even. But one of them, it says this of his time as a shepherd. It says, tending flocks was my daily work, and I would pray constantly during the daylight hours. The love of God and the fear of him surrounded me more and more, and faith grew, and the spirit was roused, so that in one day I would say as many as a hundred prayers, and after dark, nearly as many again. Even while I remained in the woods or on a mountain, I would wake and pray before daybreak through snow, frost, rain, nor was there any sluggishness in me, because then the spirit within me was ardent. I don't know why this just makes me think of you. It's just like, I can see you doing this, like... You're cold, and you're like, oh. Anyway, so he's like calling out to God, encountering God in this wilderness, and the love of God is meeting him. So he's meeting the love of God, and he spends six years doing this. He's learning, meanwhile, the Celtic language by default, right? He's learning about their gods. He's learning about their traditions. Without even knowing it, he's having cultural immersion in the culture he's going to go back to. Okay, but he's enslaved here. He's encountering God. For six years, he did this. Until one night in his sleep, another voice, God, said to him, your hungers are rewarded, you are going home, look, your ship is ready. Isn't that crazy? So, middle of the night, he gets up, a slave boy gets up in the middle of the night and escapes, and he goes 200 miles, they think, to the nearest coast. No one harms him, he talks about the divine protection of God, he gets on a ship, and it takes him three years to finally make it back to his home. During the three years, he encounters these monasteries in Gaul, which now is named, right, isn't that France? Anyway, the point is he encounters these monasteries and his life, I think on the backside of a wilderness, prepared him for monastic living. He's alone, he's doing really harsh things to his body and he's encountering God. So he found this like home in these monasteries and he really loved it. He started just drinking in the DNA of like loving God, staying in these places of worship and solitude. But he finally makes it back to his house. And at this point when he goes home, he's totally different, right? When you're 15 and you're silly, and then you're taken, he was taken actually at 17, he comes back in his mid-20s, and he's been on the side of a wilderness encountering God around bishops and monks. He's totally different. And when he gets home, he's so compelled by the love of God, I think that he felt uncomfortable in his own culture. He He wasn't truly a Roman boy anymore. He wasn't an Irish person either. He wasn't Celtic. He was a mismatched breed, and I think he felt like he didn't belong. It says also, he has another dream in the middle of the night, and a man that he had known named Victoricus comes to him holding a bundle of letters, and the heading of the letters is the voice of the Irish, and when he reads that word, immediately he hears the sound of many voices coming near a forest that he had been by, like when he was a shepherd in Ireland, and the voices are crying out, oh, holy boy, we beg you, come and walk among us once more, and he wakes up, and he's like cut to the quick. 
And this is what I love, is we don't even read this in the confession, the journey that his heart must have been on. Because imagine if you've been taken, you've been enslaved by a people group, even their language must have, you know, it's a little trigger, right? Hearing their language, you're finally back at home, you're finally safe. Instead of having that and and reacting that way, like with hatred and I'm never going back there, his heart is cut to the quick. I think the love of God so penetrated his heart that God's agenda for Ireland, he was like, I can trust this to Patrick. Patrick knows this people. He's perfect for this job. I can trust him with this nation. I can have them come to him in a dream in the middle of the night, and I'm going to see what he's going to say, knowing that Patrick was going to be in. And Patrick is in. It actually talks about he spends the next, like, 15 years preparing. God continues to meet him, continues to bring the Irish to his mind, and so he goes to these monasteries again in France, and he studies, because he missed out on a lot of the portion of life where young men would have studied. He starts studying. He starts recruiting an apostolic team of laymen and laywomen, seminarians, all these people that are like, we're, we're doing this. We're going to Ireland. So he prepares, and he shows up in Ireland, and he would camp beside these tribal leaders. He would try to go to the king or the someone in, in charge, and he would bring the gospel. And he had incredible favor. So that as these kings would hear, then the people would then be able to hear. They would do dramas. It's like all the things that we do on mission trips. It's so cool. And it was basically, he wanted an indigenous movement. He wanted these people to have someone in their tribe lead the church that he would start. So he was this apostolic leader. He would go to these tribes with the intention of planting a church, and he would leave. He would raise up one person. He would equip them, give them like instructional papers on how to be a Jesus follower, and they would do it their own way. He just wasn't religious. He wasn't worried about having it fit the Roman church, having a bishop, having all these things. He was just like, you follow Jesus. You can do it. And then he'd go on to the next place. Not so great. So I feel like the takeaway in that beginning part of his story for us is that when we let God's love in, we also let God's mission in. And don't be surprised as God loves you that you start loving other people around you. And even places of extreme pain become places of mission for you. The second thing I think that we see in, oh, well, anyway, whatever. I had a verse, but... Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us, okay? That's just to back it up. Literally, as an ambassador, you stand between. You're like, I am sent on a mission to be the ambassador between God and this people group. And God wants to be, he wants to give you a people to be an ambassador for. The second thing that I think we learn from Patrick's life is that when we walk with Jesus, we are not afraid of the light not triumphing darkness. We are confident that light will triumph darkness. In John 1, 5, it talks about how Jesus is the light of the world, but then it says, do you have that, Chad? Sorry, John 1, 5, says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, the darkness has not overcome it. Now, for us to really understand how dark the Celtic lands were, we have to understand kind of how they worshipped and who was in charge. Now, Roman gods and Grecian gods during that time were really beautiful, you know, like Venus, Aphrodite, Juno, like they're like beautiful superhumans. But Celtic gods were not like that. They were monstrous. They required human sacrifice. They They would torment men in their sleep. Like these armies would have these moments where they knew that the god was upset and spiritual attack is happening to them all the time. They couldn't sleep in peace. So they lived very on the edge lives. They lived like fully sexually weird stuff because they're like all for pleasure, all for love. And then very like Spartan, I'm gonna die in war. So I'm just, I'm gonna give myself over to demonic powers to win in war. And I'll sacrifice my children so that I can win. So it's a dark place. 
Not only that, but they were also known for druids. Have you guys heard of druids before? They're these magician priests who had power over the atmosphere. There are lots of accounts that they could cause fogs to come that would freeze people. Now, lest we don't believe that, the Bible talks about how Moses encountered these Egyptian sorcerers, right, who could make a staff into a snake. Weird things. So there's weird demonic power. And what I love is that when Patrick went, he went confident that, yes, they could do these things. He'd probably seen them. But he knew who gave them even that little measure of power. And he went in confident that the light that God had given him would overcome the darkness. There's actually accounts where they talk about how these warriors were so afraid to sleep, but they would watch Patrick sleep in peace, and they knew that his peace wasn't a sham. Because they understood he has something I don't have. His courage in coming to them and his faithfulness in coming was actually what won their hearts. They would see this band of men come, and they were amazed that they were so brave to camp near these warrior tribes that would just kill each other at anything. They would actually have a lot of times where they were obsessed with the human head of their enemy. They'd play soccer with it. Like, they're weird people. And Patrick came, and he wasn't afraid. I'm afraid even thinking about it, right? (laughs) There's this story. I think it's so cool. In the spring of 433 on Easter Eve... Peter is having his disciples all come. They're celebrating Easter. So he strikes this fire, not knowing that the high king who's nearby has actually said there's not supposed to be any fire until we do this druid ritual pagan thing to celebrate our festival. So Patrick sparks this fire. The druid priests see it, and they prophesy. They say to the king, if you don't put out this fire now, it will never go out, and it will extinguish all of our fires, and I see it taking over all of Ireland. Isn't that cool? That's like, yeah, the devil knows what's up. But so anyway, and that is exactly what happened. That as Patrick went and he advanced the gospel, that fire was lit and then lit and then lit and then lit and then lit. Do you see what I'm saying? And he wasn't afraid. I was talking to someone recently and we were having this conversation. I knew she wasn't saved. I knew she hadn't given her life to Jesus because of things I've heard her say about just all gods. And and I was talking to her because she's been going to a Christian church. And she's like, but I just want people to leave me alone. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, I just want to be left alone. Like, I just want to do what I want. I want them to stop asking me questions. And I left a little bit intimidated. Have you ever been talking to someone and they put up a wall and you're like, oh, and you're like, leave. And you're like, oh, you know. And it was one of those moments where I was afraid. I was afraid of the pushback. And I felt like the Lord just said, Karis, this is a spirit world. Like, this is a spirit war. And whatever spirit she's under does not like me and wants to be left alone. She might not want to be left alone, right? But the spirit that's compelling her wants to be left alone. Now, Les, I, I'm not saying she was possessed, but I am saying Ephesians 2 is pretty, pretty good, pretty true. So we're going to look there. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, And you were dread, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That sounds intense, but when people don't know God, there's actually a spiritual element of darkness, and they don't want, that spirit world does not want you to come near. And I want to encourage you, when you encounter pushback with people, do not give up. That pushback means you're making ground, actually. There were lots of times in these books I read about Patrick's life, like 12 different times his life was in danger, that he was almost killed, but he kept going. And I want to say keep going and fight it like it's a spirit battle. Fight it with light. Pray for the person. Pray before every encounter. Ask God, you got a word for this person? I'm going to give them a word because no one can deny when God calls the secrets of their heart out, right? That's what prophecy is. It says that an unbeliever who has you give a prophetic word over them, you call the secrets of their heart out, they can't deny it. It's so real to them. 
And I wanna encourage us as we look at the life of St. Patrick, as we look at our lives, to say, I'm not gonna be afraid of darkness. When dark things happen, like the shooting that happened earlier this week in New Zealand, right when it happened, I felt like the Holy Spirit, I was just, I, it was that hole, you know? You know when you go in the hole, the fear hole, and you're like, oh no, this is an evil I didn't even see. And I felt like the Lord said, if you will bind things, they will be bound. Like, if you will step in right now, and you will bind it, it will be bound. And so I just started praying, started warring, and started saying, light is going to triumph. The darkness will not put it out. So yes, this is a new creative way of darkness. Well, God has a new creative way of light to release right now, in this moment. Let's be people who stop running from the darkness. Let's be people who run in, confident that the light that we carry will never be extinguished. The third thing I want us to take away from the life of St. Patrick is that your yes to God will multiply out to the people around you. When you fully give yourself to Jesus in worship, your yes creates a ripple effect. It ripples out to the people that you know. Patrick was one man, and he said yes, and then he got a team of other people who said yes, and they went to this nation, and the whole nation was shaken. It says that he and his friends, in a certain book, it says he and his friends launched a movement, baptized probably tens of thousands, planted 700 churches, ordained over 1,000 priests. In his lifetime ministry of 28 years, 30 to 40 of Ireland's 150 tribes became substantially Christian. That's amazing. Not only that, but in the centuries following, in, in Ireland, there are 6,000 places that, are, that have the name church in it. 6,000 churches erupted because of his. He started with those 700, and God just kept multiplying it out. In the years after his death, so many cool things happened. He would start these monasteries. And remember, I told you, it was a really sexually charged, strange culture. Seems a lot like our culture sometimes, but they would do very weird things. And so he called these men and these women. He had virgins of Christ and young men who would come, and they would dedicate their lives to celibacy, to seeking after God. But what I love is that their monasteries were unlike monasteries in the, in the other parts of Europe because they were charged to be these, these hubs of activity. They would educate children. They would have gardens. They would fish. They would learn trades. It was like a place of poetry and music and skill and learning. They became lifebloods of community. They would literally camp right next to a tribe, and the tribe would give them part ownership of the land so that they could establish these monasteries. And I just see that his life began this permeating effect through the whole nation. One man's little yes, one man's little life permeates a whole nation. And in the centuries to come, as the Roman Empire fell, there was actually danger. Oh, what's going to happen to Christianity? Remember, Roman Empire had said, like Constantine had said, Christianity is our national religion. And many people think that the Romans didn't make Christianity them. They actually made Christianity Roman. Does that make sense? They took Christianity, they made it Roman. They're saying that what makes Patrick's Celtic Christianity so different is that Ireland was absorbed into Christianity. It became the kingdom, and it became indigenous, so that in the centuries following, these Celtic Christians were sent out on mission to Scotland, to France, to England. They were going all throughout the world telling the gospel. And there's actually one of the books I read, it's called How the Irish Saved Civilization. Because it's basically saying these people went at a time that was crucial. God raised up Patrick. The reason we don't have a lot of info on his life is because the Roman Empire was falling, so not many people thought it was important to talk about this little bishop. They thought it was more important to talk about the Roman Empire. But I wish we knew more, because what he did was he saved a nation through the blood of Jesus. This nation then sends out missionaries all throughout Europe. It's just one man's life, one man's little life. Matthew 13 has this parable. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. 
He says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And I wanna say we are that mustard seed that if we will let ourselves be buried into the will of God and say, like, you can hide me, you can cover me, you can put me on the backside of a wilderness if you have to, but I'm going to trust that you're going to grow something through my life that will shelter other people. I am, like, living testimony of this happening. I'm going to close with a story about how my mom actually came to know the Lord. She was in her 20s, and she um, had grown up in a Christian home where they went to church nominally, but she had no idea that there could be a relationship. So she and my dad got married, and she was stationed in Germany. He was in the Army, and she would work in, like, the office of the Army on this tiny little post, and she would help all these new soldiers who were coming in, and my dad was fighting on the Czech border. And one day, this big black man walks in, and she's immediately, like, gaze on him, and he sits down and talks to one of her friends. She can hear what they're saying, and he's talking about how he's like, I moved here. I was two years away from being totally done with the Army, and God called me back here. And he says, and I was so confused. I, you know, like I was struggling with that. My family was ready. We were going to put down roots in Virginia, but God brought us here. And mom's like listening to this conversation. And the woman says, aren't you so disappointed? And he said, no, God's got a plan for my life. He said, I know that God's directing my steps. I called her to get the story right yesterday. She says that she walked around because she had to look at his face. She loved his voice so much. And she said, I swear his face was glowing. That was the only time she ever saw him. She thought his face was glowing. His daughter comes. A couple months later, his whole family moves up. His daughter's in her choir, and she's like, I just loved her. And it was such a tiny post that word of this man just traveled. Now, this was the kind of post, it was a lot like how we can think the Celts were. They partied a lot because death was close, right? They lived in a dangerous part of the world, and so they lived a life that was very like partying, a lot of, lot of lost stuff. Not many Christians. So this man was kind of legend around the post. And my mom would just like drink in every time she heard about him and was just really fascinated by his life. Didn't understand why he was living the way that he was living. And one day in November, the tanks went out in the field and he was a tank operator. And when he was out in the field, he was going down a steep incline. It became really slippery, icy and snowy. And he tried to eject to get out of the tank. And when he did, the tank rolled over him and he was killed. And my mom said when she heard the news, the whole post was so small that when the men were out in the field, they were aware of what was happening. So when someone came back and told them, my mom was so angry with the Lord. And she said, why would you do that to someone who liked you so much? It was like the first real prayer she'd prayed. Why would you take someone who liked you so much? And then she said that the chaplain, who was a chaplain out of a lot of posts, had come and had tried to give ministry to all the families, and especially to his family. They went in. He went in to tell them the news. And the family invited him in and said, would you pray with us? And she, he, the chaplain was telling her about it because my mom went to him and was asking a bunch of questions. And he was saying that the family had such peace. They were so sad but had such peace and talked about hope of heaven. And my mom went home and she was disturbed to her core. She didn't understand. It was her greatest fear. Her dad had been deployed two times, one time in Korea, one time in Vietnam. And so for her, this was her greatest fear that was being lived out in front of her. And these people were responding so differently. And she went to one friend that she knew had something she didn't have. And she said, tell me what this man had that I don't have. And so she prayed the prayer that day. She became a believer, started walking with God. And then my dad got saved a year later, which led to their siblings getting saved, which led to me being saved and my two siblings, which led to my three kids, right? My four kids, I have four kids being saved, which led (laughs) to all the ministry that she's done and all the ministry that my dad's done because this man who I will never meet on earth, but I hope to meet in heaven because he's a legend to me now. 
Like all because he decided to say, God has control of my life. He decided to be that little mustard seed buried in the ground. And he said, God can do what he wants with my life. And I guarantee you, he's not sad in heaven, you know? And I just feel that for us, that the Lord wants to stir up our hearts to be that little mustard seed. You don't know what you saying yes to the plan of God in your life will do for the people around you. Your yes to God is not just about you. It's never just about you. It's going to infect and affect nations. It's going to affect and infect generations. He's a generational God. If you say yes now, you have no idea the effect that your yes is gonna have and how it's gonna change things. I want y'all to stand. I feel like there might be some people today who you've never fully made that choice to love Jesus yet. You've never, you've never even thought about the fact that he's pursuing you. And I wanna encourage you, this is your moment. If you would like to say, Jesus, I didn't know you were coming after me. I didn't even know I was in the dark. Like maybe I felt it, but I didn't know. I wanna encourage you to open your heart to the Lord right now. If our prayer teams can go off to the side, there will be someone on the side. If you're making that prayer today, if you're making that decision, go to them, pray with them. And then for those of us who are still standing, I want you to get out your phone. This is important, get out your phone. I feel like the Lord's gonna give you people who are your Celtic people, the people that are your Ireland. And I want you to write down their names right now. You can pray with the person you're sitting next to. You can pray on your own over those names. As they start singing in worship, I want you to write down those names and start praying for them. Start saying, oh God, would you cause your light to invade their darkness right now? Start asking for those people by name, listing them by name. Your committing to their cause could cause a whole nation to change. Let's pray. I'm going to pray, and then you can, whenever you're done writing and done praying, you can join in and worship. Father, we are so thankful for St. Patrick. We are thankful that he is more than shamrocks and Irish beer, that he is a man who loved you, and we thank you that he is part of that cloud of witnesses that's spurring us on, and we want to say yes again to your mission in our lives. We want to say, God, we want to be used. Would you use us? Father, I pray that our little lives, our little mustard seed lives would be buried in the fruitful and fertile ground of your love and that you would cause a tree to come out of each of our lives that would bear fruit so that birds would come and make their nests in our branches, that we would host so many people for you. God, we repent of being afraid of the darkness, of being intimidated that darkness is going to put out our light. We thank you that you are the light of the world and then that you said to us, we are the light of the world. Darkness is not going to prevail. So God, would your light invade today? We ask for every name that people wrote down right now. I thank you, Spirit of God, you know where they are. You know who they are. Would you pursue them? Would it be like with my mom, that their heart would be gripped and bothered when they see us, that they would, be, they would not be able to have peace and they would think, what do they have that I don't have? And God, I ask that nations would be given to us. God, we are asking for nations to be giving to us. We thank you, Lord, that you want to give it. We thank you that your kingdom is coming. We bless you, God.